My name is Ted Moore. Um, we've been coming to the Heights for almost 10 years. Back in middle October 2018, my wife Melissa was getting ready to give birth to our second child. And a storm came through, knocked a tree over in our yard, and it, it was everywhere. So I had a neighbor come over and help me get branches up, but the big stuff just had to wait because with us getting close to the due date, that was our primary focus. Knowing that we were going to have to come home to the tree, having to figure out how to get rid of it, um, a group from church while we were in the hospital came and they removed it all. And I can't tell you the feeling of joy I had pulling into the driveway when we returned home, seeing the tree completely gone, and knowing that I could focus on Melissa and our new daughter Delaney, especially since Melissa had some complications after the birth. And it, it just, it made me want to go out and help others in our community because it, it just, it has such a great impact. It did on me. And the church caring for the church. That's a great story from Ted, isn't it? Love these stories we're sharing about reaching out. Sometimes that reaching out is right here inside of our own family. Man, wasn't it great to see all the generations together worshiping the Lord this morning? Isn't that an exciting time? What, what, a, what a blessing. Hey, quick reminder, this Wednesday night is the first Wednesday of the month, so that means it's our church-wide prayer time. I want to encourage you to be here for that. We start at 6.30 sharp, and we end at 6.50 sharp. If you're not used to praying in a group, this won't make you uncomfortable. If you're not used to being praying out loud, you don't have to pray out loud. Not used to praying this long, it moves pretty quickly. Uh, it, it, is, it really is an important time and, and a special time as we gather as a whole church. Our youth have a prayer time up, up in their area and our, our children in theirs, but we'll all be in here. And you know what we do? When we gather and battle, regardless of any word that comes out of our mouth while we're praying, man, it's just a, it's just a symbol before the Lord. This church depends upon you. We call out to you. We, we acknowledge you. So even if Wednesday night activities are not a normal part of your weekly schedule, I would encourage you to come and be a part this Wednesday night just for that 20 minutes. I, I promise you, you'll find it uh, very powerful and meaningful in your life. And you know, one of the reasons we need to pray is, wow, there's a lot of problems out there. Am I right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, that's not news. Jesus actually said there's a lot of problems out there. He said it this way, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I, I have overcome the world. You know, knowing that, that Jesus said that, it kind of grieves me, maybe angers me a little bit, that, that there are, are preachers, there are churches, really whole traditions out there that... Uh, lead us to believe that really the only reason we come to Christ, the only purpose of faith is our own happiness. That, that that's all that's really about. Sometimes people refer to it as the prosperity gospel. That you, you, you come to Christ and you're, you're wealthy, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that coming to Christ is absolutely the better life. It's, it's the best life. It's, it's eternal life. As a matter of fact, it is an eternity of health and wealth and prosperity. But, but to act like that's all faith is about is kind of missing a lot of what the Scripture, a lot of what Jesus has to say. Je Jesus actually warned us, hey, before you follow me, and he wants you 
to come follow him. But he warns you before you do. Hey, if, if you follow me, it, it's going to cost. In, in that, that passage we just saw, he says, take heart. Another way of saying that is have courage. Why would I need courage if all that's out in front of me is, is health and wealth and prosperity? No, folks, the reality is in this world... You can be living for the Lord, be living rightly for the Lord, be filled with faith. You know, a lot of times in the prosperity gospel, you know, if you're not getting that condition that you want, it's because you don't have enough faith. You're encouraged to have more faith. Well, we're going to see a person today the Scripture describes as full of faith, and that doesn't land him in the middle of prosperity. You, you, you can love the Lord, be walking with the Lord, be filled with faith, and that doesn't mean we're immune to problems. What we're going to see today as we come to Acts chapter 6 and 7, and if you're new to our church, the reason we're in Acts 6 and 7 today is because we've been taking a trek all the way through 2019 through the whole Bible, and that our curriculum today puts us there in Acts 6 and 7. And we're going to see a picture, people who love the Lord, walking with the Lord, but, but here comes problems. Now, as we, as we come into Acts, Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus' last appearance with the disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, we have the birth of the church. And man, is it an exciting time. It, it's kind of like you would hope and anticipate with the beginning of something. It, it actually says several times in chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, hey, thousands are coming to the Lord at a time. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to the Lord. So, you know, I mean, you could be looking at all this thinking, man, this, this couldn't be any better. And it's not just that they're attracting a crowd. It's not just that the apostles are putting on a really good show and everybody wants to, to see it. No, it's so much more than that. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says that as these thousands came together, they were praying together. Because that, that's what we do as the gathered body of Christ. We come before the Lord and praise Him and, and pray. But they came together and there was this bond. There was this fellowship. And there was a unity in their prayers. There was a unity in their worship. There was a, a unity in what they studied and learned. As a matter of fact, this crowd of thousands and thousands of people, there, there was something happening in, among them, between them, where there was no needs. They just took care of one. Whatever the need was, whatever it meant to get a person's need fulfilled, they were just all making sure that a, a person was loved, cared, ministered to, provided for. That. So this is not just gathering for a good show. It's like this crowd of thousands had become a family. The spiritual family had gone to take on the, the same level of, of preeminence in our lives as we might think of as our, our biological family, the, the family we're born into. And so it's a high time as we move through chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and then we come to 6, and we have a problem. We actually have a couple of kind of problems. We, we have a problem inside the house, a, a problem in the family, a problem in the church. They love the Lord. They're walking with the Lord, but now, now we got a problem. And then we're going to see a second problem. And it's from outside the church. It's, it's an attack. You know, that's just like our lives today, isn't it? You, you got some problems in here right now you're sitting with that are kind of internal to you or maybe to your home. And, and then we got problems that are attacks from without. And what we're going to see as they handle these problems is a way to navigate. We're going to see a phrase that runs all the way through the, the Acts. 
I mean, there's, there's big issues. There, there's things you'd say, hey, let's stop here. Let's camp out on this. Let's understand this. Let's learn about this. But there's this little phrase that you and I would read right past. I mean, it sounds like an important descriptor, but it just, we would read right past this. But it appears over and over and over. And it's the phrase filled with the Spirit. So as we read this morning, I want you to be watching, listening for that phrase filled with the Spirit and the impact that it is having. Turn with me today to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 in your Bible, that's where we are. It's, uh, oh, I don't know, 80, 90% of the way through your Bible. It's right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's right before Romans and Corinthians. Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, I mean, again, you're hearing that phrase, everything's going well, everything's growing and moving. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. There's discontentment in the family. There's discontentment in the church. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend time, should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. I want you to notice the qualification that they had. Because you might read that first line like, hey, we, we need to preach. I can't come and do this little menial, unimportant stuff like, uh, you know, feeding people. It kind of reads like that, not at all what they're saying. No, it's very important what to do. Look at the quality of the person they want running that. What they're saying is, hey, I've got a God-given role, a God-given assignment, and I'm not going to do something else equally important that keeps me from doing what God has called me to do. So let's get some people that God has called them to do that so we can get this important function taken care of. And so you see the, the kind of person they selected. And the, they selected seven men who were well-respected, full of the... Spirit, right, and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. And what you're reading here is in chapter 2 we have the birth of the church. In chapter 6 we have the birth of the deacon. These are the, the first deacons being selected here. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the... Oh, See how it just kind of slips in there. Just a little descriptor, but it just keeps popping up. They're, they're filled with the Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. Yay! We had a problem, we addressed it, it's fixed, everything's moving right again. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Now that's our first problem. Our second problem, this is the one coming from the the outside. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, this is the same Stephen we just met a few verses ago, this is one of these new deacons, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. 
So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen. That's our problem, in case you're wondering. Somebody we love. Hey, we, didn't we just vote on that guy to be deacon? I mean, this guy was popular. He's loved. Oh, he's arrested. That's, that's a problem, right? Yeah, thank you. I'd like to think if one of us got arrested, you'd be a little bit concerned. But uh, yeah, so he is arrested, and they brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. I would love to see what that looked like, wouldn't you? That kind of sounds cool. I wonder, wonder what that means, what that would have looked like on Stephen's face. So we, we, we have our new church. It's been rolling along. And boy, now all of a sudden we, we've, we've got some problems. The first problem is identified for us real clearly. It's, it's discrimination, isn't it? People are dividing themselves up. We always have a way. Whether it's skin color, whether it's language, ethnic, culture, we all have ways we kind of divide up. And, of course, the group I'm in is the best group. And and the group you're in is not the best group. Isn't it interesting something that is just tearing America apart right now is the very first problem the church deals with. The the very first problem inside this brand new church is an issue of discrimination, racism, favoritism. Now, what's interesting here, as you and I would look at these people, we wouldn't even probably recognize what the difference is. There's two kinds of Jews in Jerusalem. There's a Hebrew-speaking Jew and there's a Greek-speaking Jew. What's the difference between the language? Uh, My translation referred to what they speak. You may be reading a translation that called them Hebraic Jews or Hellenistic Jews. So that the Hebraic Jew is somebody that's been born in Israel. They, they were born in Israel. They were born to Jewish parents. They were raised in the Jewish faith. They were raised in Hebrew culture. And Hebrew culture doesn't necessarily mean biblical. I'm not referring to anything being right or wrong. It's just we all live in a culture. We're all impacted by that culture. They were raised in the Hebrew culture. And, and this is where we add in our hearts the little word, the pure culture. But then there's these other Jews. Now, oddly enough, they were also born Jew. <laughs> they were born to Jewish parents. They were also raised in the Jewish faith, but they were born and raised somewhere else. It's interesting the lines we draw of what makes somebody better than another. They were born, they're pretty much identical to me, but they were born somewhere else. And, and they're Hellenistic, they're Greek speaking. As a matter of fact, if you look down at verse 9, we actually saw an example of this in the second problem. We see there's these Jews who go to attack Stephen and where are they from? They're, they're, they're from, uh, I just lost it, nine. From Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia. That, those aren't places in Israel. But those are places outside of Israel. They're just as Jewish as the people born in Israel, but they were raised somewhere else. And so there's this favoritism. And, and in one way that it seems to be showing itself is how people were fed. But you know what's interesting is there's a much bigger problem here than people being fed. And I know that because of the requirement. I know that because of what the apostles were looking for in solving the problem. We need people filled with the Spirit. Folks, all over the world today, there are people feeding the poor, caring for the poor, 
that are not filled with the Spirit. You do not have to be filled with the Spirit to give somebody food. Ah, but to navigate the real issue, to navigate the real problem, we need to be filled with the Spirit. You know, folks, there, what we are seeing here, anything that puts up barriers in the church is a sin. It is an attack on God and what God is doing. It is the world, it's satanic driven, that, that puts up our barriers, that, that puts up our, our prejudices, our, our favoritisms, our racism. That, that is always going to be driven by Satan. And it is always God that wants to bring those barriers down. You know, when you and I think of the gospel... You know, what's the purpose of the gospel? What's the product of the gospel? I mean, the first thing that's going to come to our mind is our own salvation, right? I mean, that, that's what the gospel does. The good news is I can be saved. I, I, I can be rescued from sin and, and death and hell. And that seems to be the big purpose of the gospel, right? Yeah, and that's the truth. But it's not the only purpose of the gospel, As a matter of fact, I can turn to Ephesians chapter 3, where it's laid out very clearly that the reason God sent His Son, the reason there is a gospel, is to bring down these barriers between Jew and Gentile. To to bring down these barriers where we separate each other, where we bring down racism, we, we bring down these walls. That's the work of God. A spirit-filled person is going to be doing that. And you know what, folks? It's not enough to say, I'm not a racist. I mean, it's important to not be a racist, right? But standing here and saying, well, I'm, I'm not a racist. I, I don't have racist thoughts. I don't tell racist jokes. I, I, I feel like I'm pretty respectful of all people, treat all people as equal. Well, that's all good, but that didn't bring a barrier down. S- saying I'm not a racist is not bringing any walls down. It actually takes more than that. Folks, the gospel moves. It literally moves us to want to see oneness throughout the church. Now, we're, we're a pretty diverse church, pretty diverse. But where this is being written in Acts, go back to Acts chapter 2. It actually lists all of the ethnicities, all of the people groups that were a part of these thousands that were coming to faith in Christ. And so there would have been a lot of people in the room that normally I look down on that group. Normally I don't think as highly of that group. And that's why the scriptures teach you, no, 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 no. This is exactly what the gospel wants. This is exactly what the gospel is doing. We bring barriers down. A spirit-filled person is looking in every day, in every relationship, what role am I playing in bringing those walls down? Specifically inside the church. And folks, the fact that the church has played almost no role at all in solving this problem in America shows us that we've fallen maybe way too content with just saying, I'm not a racist. That's not enough. And when I look at the gospel, it says we should be leading in resolving this issue, not just hopefully be a decent part of it. So, I mean, that's a topic all in of itself. Again, I find it interesting that such a major problem in in America, such a major problem in our world today, very first problem dealt with in the church. But but look at where that phrase shows up, filled with the Spirit. Now now we come to our our second problem. We have Stephen, again, one one of these new deacons. And, man, he seems to just be living greatly for God. I mean, he is is talking about the Lord, witnessing about the Lord. There's all these miracles happening around his life. And, again, that puts him not in the crosshairs of prosperity, 
That that puts him in the crosshairs of the enemy. It puts him in the crosshairs of, of persecution. And so they come and they arrest him. And he begins to give a defense for who he is and what he's doing. You know, when I say a defense, if you've been arrested, if you're in a court of law giving a defense, you're explaining why you're innocent, right? You're explaining why you shouldn't hold this against me and I shouldn't be in trouble. That's not what I mean by defense here. Stephen's defense is, you've arrested me for for preaching the name of Jesus and doing works in the name of Jesus, so let me explain to you why I'm going to continue to preach the name of Jesus and do works of Jesus. And guess what? They were not real excited about that. Now, if you were to read Acts chapter 7, verse 1 and following, you will find what I like to call the cliff notes to the Old Testament. You know, cliff notes are the real shortened version of a long, a long book. Acts chapter 7 really kind of hits the highlights all the way through the Old Testament. If you want to read the Old Testament in 90 seconds or less, read Acts chapter 7. And what Stephen is doing there is, is he's, again, he's defending himself before people who would say they believe the Old Testament, who would say their faith is in the Old Testament. And Stephen is saying, guys, the Old Testament gives us Jesus. The, The product, the fruit of the Old Testament is the Messiah named Jesus Christ. So he's developing this line of reasoning, this this argument with him filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's see how it turns out for him. Go to the end of chapter seven and look at verse 54. Chapter 7, verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated. Okay, so probably this is not going to go very well. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's just stop right there. Because what we're going to read next. Hey, listen, you got problems in the world? Not problems. Do you have enemies? You, you You have people institution, a situation, and they're the enemy of your life. All the problems in your life are are because of them, that person, that whatever it is. That's the enemy. Well, we're going to see real clearly here how somebody filled with the Spirit is dealing with an enemy. And when somebody is trying to kill you, I think it's fair to call them an enemy. Isn't it? Whatever you're dealing with today, I don't think you're dealing with more than what Stephen is dealing with at this moment. So let's see what it looks like to deal with an enemy filled with the Spirit. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Okay, I would take that to say when I'm filled with the Spirit, I see my Savior more than my enemy. That doesn't mean you don't see the enemy. That doesn't mean you're not dealing with an enemy. It does mean that when you're filled with the Spirit, you see your Savior more than you see your enemy. Second thing, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. When you're filled with the Spirit, you talk about your Savior more than you talk about your enemy. I mean, he's dealing with them right here and right now, and he's not talking about them. He's talking about his Savior. Verse 57, they put their hands over their ears, and they began shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. If you're not completely sure what that means, it's this. They threw rocks at him until he died. It sounds horribly painful to me. I I can't imagine that's a simple, easy way, quick way to die. They threw stones at him until he died. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man 
named Saul. This execution was taking place under the authority of, of this young leader named Saul. I would imagine some of us know that Saul's going to get a new name, Paul, and he's going to go on to be a pretty big figure in this whole Christian story. But this is our first introduction to him. Under his authority, Stephen is being executed. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then we see the third thing we do with our enemies under, filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Honestly, folks, if somebody's trying to kill me, I can't imagine that's the sentence that comes out of my mouth. If my life is under my power and wisdom. But if it's under the spirit. What comes out of my mouth. We see an attitude here toward dealing with an enemy. And it's forgiveness. He says Lord I I don't know what all they've done wrong. But don't charge this against them. Don't, Don't let this be a part of what you do when you deal with them. And with that he died. So it didn't quite work out in the second problem. Like it did the first problem. And what we have here is the first person to die for the Christian faith, the first martyr for Jesus. If you ever listening to playing a trivia game and it says, who's the first person to die for Jesus? You, you just read the answer. Stephen, not one of the apostles, and most of them are going to die for their faith in Christ. But Stephen is the first one to give his life for Christ. And boy, if I'm one of these thousands of new believers and I'm witnessing all all this, aren't you wondering right now about what you just signed up for? (laughs) Hey, I, I I thought when we became Christians, we just all got healthy and wealthy and happy. I, I, I thought this was just all about making life fun and, and good and, and all the problems go away. I'm not so sure about this. Let me remind you, Jesus is not sneaking up on anybody here. Jesus is not surprising anybody here. Jesus actually warned us. And I'm not just talking about the verse I threw up at the beginning, generally stating tribulation. There's other verses where Jesus very specifically says, hey, if you follow me, they're going to arrest you. If you follow me, they're going to kill you. Some people will kill you, and this is probably a good example of it. They're going to kill you and think they're doing me a favor. So so nothing, I'm using this word loosely, nothing strange is happening here. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. And this kind of persecution and tribulation, praise the Lord, is not what you and I have had to deal with very much, is it? We've been a very unique Christian in that for a couple of centuries now, we've been allowed to to live our faith without any fear of this kind of thing. I, I think through all of America, there's places where you're made fun of, you're persecuted for, for what you believe as a believer. But not a single one of us got in the car today and came to church with any fear of being arrested and it going downhill from there. Most of Christendom actually has lived with this kind of fear. And so since we have not had to live that way, and maybe we wonder, hey, could things ever change? Could we be having to deal with this all of a sudden? Acts chapter 6 kind of becomes important to me. What what do I do? What do we do if persecution like that actually starts to come? Do do we run and hide? Wouldn't that be the first step? Man, it doesn't look like anybody here is running and hiding, does it? Do, Do we gather together in secret? And just kind of cry on each other's soldier about how bad it is out there in the world. You know, I don't, that would seem natural, and it is, but I don't see anybody here doing that. 
Matter of fact, I don't see anybody anywhere in the New Testament that when we gather, we just kind of moan and groan about how bad they are out there. No, it it seems like what they do is they get filled with the Spirit. So now all of a sudden, whether I'm just dealing with a problem inside the family, like the first part of 6, or I'm being attacked from outside, like the end of chapter 6, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What, what, what does that look like? What is that supposed to be in my life? And we're getting a little bit long into the morning to st- kind of like start a whole study of the Holy Spirit. But I do want to hopefully somewhat quickly throw at you a couple of things so we can kind of get a context and an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what God intended this member of the Trinity would be in our lives. So there, there's four acts, four works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me talk about three of them real quickly. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and sealing of the Holy Spirit. All three of these works of the Holy Spirit happen the very second that you become a child of God. That moment, that, that, that moment's not even, it's, it's, just, it's all like it happens at the exact flash of lightning. When you become a child of God, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, at that moment you become, I just said moment's too long, at that second you, you are baptized and dwelt and sealed in the Holy Spirit. Now, what do those three words mean? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm explaining this in super simple terms. These are not deep theological statements I'm making. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit coming up next to you, putting his arm around you, and saying, I'm with him. What an awesome thought. <laughs> the, the, the Holy Spirit of God just announced, and I'll say this, to the spiritual realm, to the devil and all his angels, to the Father and all his angels, I'm with this guy. Now, why am I saying that's what it means? The word baptism means to identify with. It, you know, if I do anything that identifies me with a team, identifies me with a person, it, that, that the Holy Spirit is identifying himself with us. Now watch this. And we're not talking about water baptism this morning. But you know what water baptism is? Water baptism is you and me putting our arm around the Holy Spirit and saying, and I'm with him. Now I'm showing the physical realm. What is water baptism? It is me giving a testimony to the world, to the church. I belong to God. I've identified my life as belonging to his. So that's kind of water baptism and baptism of the spirit working together. So in baptism of the spirit, the Holy Spirit identifies with us. In an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, boy, the spirit goes somewhere that is just beyond kindness, beyond goodness. This is an incredible work that God does in our lives that I think most of the time we don't appreciate much. The indwelling of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit not just standing with me saying I'm with Him. It's the Holy Spirit coming and living in me. Have you ever been in a, in a room, a house, a, a, a motel, and it, it just, you weren't comfortable? It's like, I don't, I don't want to sit down. <laughs> it smells funny in here. You know, sometimes we're in, I'm just, I'm just not very comfortable in here. And you know, what do we want to do? We, we want to leave, Right? See, the reason I think the indwelling is such an act of kindness and grace of God is because the Holy Spirit's living inside me. And I know this week, more than once, I I made this an uncomfortable place for him to live. I I, I think of very specific situations where I know the Holy Spirit had to say, I don't even want to sit down in here. And yet he made a promise. And he's not going to leave, no matter how much I make it uncomfortable for him 
to be in there. That's pretty kind of God, isn't it? He stays in there and, and stays with me till I am delivered into heaven. Then the third work of the Holy Spirit is sealing. Probably what that would be like in our culture would be like signing a contract. You know, when you sign it, when you ink it, that's, that's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes uh, official. In this culture, they'd put wax on a document or even on an object. They'd put the, the, this wax on it and then you had this thing you stamped into the wax that was your, your sign and that sealed it. That authenticated, that verified that that's yours. So God, the Holy Spirit, seals us, verifying, authenticating that we're a child of God that now belongs to Him for all eternity. Now, watch this. In these three works of the Spirit, there is nowhere in Scripture where you are commanded to be baptized and dwelt or sealed in the Holy Spirit. There's no command on your life for that to happen. Do you know why? Because you can't do anything to make that happen. It is a work of, it's not something you do. It is something that the Holy Spirit does. And he does at that moment you become a follower of Christ. That moment you become a child of God. It is one time. It is permanent. And it is what secures our salvation. Again, a whole other topic. I'm not going there today, but that, that idea of once saved, always saved. And I, I know that there's some Christian traditions, that phrase just irks them and bothers them because it sounds like we can just get away with anything and we're, we're still saved. I think the bigger question is, was a person genuinely saved to begin with? I think that's the question. But... We are eternally saved. Once we are saved, once that is genuine, we stay saved no matter what. Because I don't keep myself saved. The work of the Holy Spirit keeps me saved. And in my humble opinion, to attack the security of salvation is to attack the Trinity of God. It is to attack the Father who desired our security, the Son who paid for it on the cross, and the Holy Spirit who does a multiplicity of works that all keep us saved until we're delivered into heaven. So that's eternal security. We're not talking about that today either. So there's three works of the Holy Spirit, but I said there was four. There's a fourth work of the Holy Spirit that we need as believers, and that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, unlike the first three, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually, the verb tense used there implies this is an ongoing thing. It's not permanent. It's not once. But over and over and over and over, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this kind of leads to two questions. What is it? What is being filled with the Holy Spirit? And and why? Why is it something I've got to do over, over and over and over? So what is it? Ephesians 5.18 is where we're commanded and where it also explains what being filled means, what it looks like. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, in telling us not to be drunk with wine, has also given us an illustration of what it means to be filled. A little bit of an awkward illustration. One, sadly, I think he anticipated we would understand. When I am, when somebody is filled with alcohol, there is a certain point at which the alcohol begins. As a matter of fact, it means the same thing in Greek that we use in our culture today. At a certain point, I am under the influence. 
There is a certain amount of alcohol that now at this point, the way I see things, the way I'm processing and interpreting, the way I walk, talk, think, literally everything I'm doing, everything I'm being in that moment is under the influence of something else. It's under the influence of the alcohol. So Paul says, don't do that, dum-dum. No, instead of being influenced by that, be under the influence. That's what filled means. To be under the influence of the Spirit. Not the alcohol, but the Spirit is now controlling how I see, how I process, how I interpret and understand, how I walk, talk, think, and act. It literally controls everything in our lives. We are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what this would mean, since it's a command, then I would pray. Holy Spirit, would you fill me today? Holy, I mean, this like might be the prayer we pray. If we pray one sentence any morning of, a, of the week of our lives, it would be, Holy Spirit, I want to be under your influence in everything I do today and everything I'll, I'll deal with today. Now, why is that prayer not permanent? I mean, I know he's living in me. He promised that. So, so why am I not permanently under his influence? And the reason is, folks, is because this very week, Probably even more times than you're aware of. And man, you're a good looking group of people. You love the Lord. You're in here singing. You came to church. Everybody around you thinks you're a sweet, wonderful Christian. Isn't that nice? And yet this very week, probably more times than you know, you rudely and aggressively told the Holy Spirit to get out of the way. You don't want his influence You'll give that influence where you want it. I'm guessing one or two of you right now are thinking, I don't remember saying all that. Folks, every time we sin, every single sin is an act of saying, I no longer want to be under your influence. I don't trust your influence. I don't trust what you would have me to do here. I trust another influence that I want in my life. And we take that influence and we give it back to alcohol. We take that influence and we give it to friends. We take that influence and we give it to the world. As a matter of fact, I think probably one of the great weaknesses of the church in America today is, I mean, folks, there may be as many of us as not that are more influenced in our morality by what the world says right and wrong than we are by this book. By the way, do you know what these, this book is? This is a representation of what it looks like to be under the influence. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21 says, You know, you see Peter writing words, Paul writing words, Isaiah writing words, Moses writing words, but actually they were under such influence of the Spirit that by the time they got done writing these words, it was no longer Peter's words, it was no longer Paul's, it was no longer Isaiah's, it was no longer Moses, it was God's word. They were under that much influence that it was now God's word that we had so that we know our morals, so that we know what is right and wrong. And yet many of us in here today, too many of us, I don't know if it's many of us, but too many think that the world has more to say about what is right and wrong, is more compassionate about what is right and wrong than the the Word of God. So we're under another influence every day of our lives. We're under another influence than the Spirit's because I don't trust the Spirit's influence. I don't think the Spirit really knows. That's why I said we're rude about it. We're aggressive about it. You know our favorite person to take influence from the Spirit and give it to? Ourselves. I mean, what influence do I like better than my own selfish desires? 
It's, it's myself that leads me to, to lust, to be greedy, to lie, to steal, to, to be rude, to get revenge. The Holy Spirit didn't lead those things. Listen, when I say that, that sin is the evidence that we're not under the, the, the influence of the Spirit, uh, don't think about what, if it's a big sin or not. Irrelevant. It's irrelevant whether it's a big sin or a little sin, a public sin, a private sin. Oh, nobody got hurt by that sin. It, any kind of sin is evidence I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit anymore. I prayed for that this morning, but then I ah, you know, did whatever I did today. And boy, boy, folks, the moment we realize that, that's when i got to stop and confess. Hey, Holy Spirit, man, thank you for not leaving. I would have left. I would have walked out the door and slammed it. Thank you for not leaving. Thank you for staying with me. And I'm sorry I arrested influence back from you. And I want to yield it afresh. I want to yield it again to you right here, right now. Man, folks, this is a prayer. This is a process that goes on every day, all day long in in the believer's life. And do you know why this is so important? Because God won't like you if you don't do it. No. No, this isn't a favor you do for God. Being filled with the Spirit is not, not something you bless God with. Being filled with the Spirit is for you. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. You think about when he's going, there goes all my love. There goes all my hope. There goes all my faith. It's gone now. I feel alone. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a helper and I'm going to send you a counselor. I'm going to send, what is help? I'm going to send you power. I'm going to send you strength. What is a counselor? It's wisdom. It's the way. I'm going to send you the strength and I'm going to send you the answers. Who is that helper? Who's that counselor? It's the Holy Spirit. We, you and I will go and complain to God. I don't, you know, I don't even know if I believe in the Lord anymore. I prayed. I asked for, I asked for help. I didn't see him show up while we ignore the help living in us. Why we ignore the counsel he's, he's giving us in this world. It is for you. It's for you. It's for me. The Holy Spirit helps me to navigate the problems and trials of this world. Wherever they're coming from. Inside the house. Or an attack from outside the house. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Let's do this this week. Quick uh, a homework assignment. This one's a little bit longer and more extensive than what I usually give you. Three times a day for seven days. Let's pick a situation, a place, a relationship where we want to be under the influence of the Spirit. Okay, now I'm not talking about the general prayer in the morning. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit. You need to pray that. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about when you realize you've just sinned and you confess that and say, hey, would you fill me again, Holy Spirit? I, I, I'm saying that we are going to look three times a day for seven days, 21 times before we get back to church next week. We are going to have sought to do something under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I would write down Monday, one, two, three. Tuesday, one, two, three. And and maybe each day you you start off with two. You know, most of us are going into a day, and I bet there's some, boy, I know I'm going to need the Holy Spirit when I deal with that person. You know, I, I know I've got this situation over I'm going to be dealing with this afternoon. Holy Spirit, I really want to be under your influence in that situation. Holy Spirit, I really want to be under your influence with that jerk. You know, that's why we need to be under influence, because there's jerks out there, right? 
That's right, that's right. God knows. That's why he sent us the Holy Spirit. Now, so that's two. But maybe we leave the third one open and we're just ready to call an audible. Because most days we walk into, they have a little surprise for us, don't they? There might be something Monday morning at 7. I don't yet know where I need to be under the influence of, of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? Monday about 1.30? Oh, that's it, Lord. That's where I really need to be under your influence as I walk through these next few moments. Can we do that? Can we try to pick three places a day for seven days? And let's, first of all, we're building a habit of saying all day, every day, I really need to be thinking about being under the influence of the Spirit. Now, I know you say, well, how do I know? How do do I know? I'm glad you asked. I need to end, so I won't read it. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and following. And this is where, folks, I really think it's going to connect the dots for some of us. You go read Galatians 5, 13 and following to the end of Galatians 5. It's about, about 15 verses. Go read to the end of Galatians 5, and you're going to actually see a list where God is going to say to you, if these activities, if these character qualities are in your life, they're in that situation, then this is evidence that you're under the flesh. And the flesh is kind of representative there of my sinful desires, the world, my friends. I'm under the flesh. And it'll, boy, I mean, you read the list. I didn't realize I was operating that much outside of the influence of the Spirit. And then as you get to the end of Galatians 5, you're going to see a list of words that describe here's what the spirit-filled life looks like. We often call it the what? Fruit, right? The fruit of, what is the fruit of something? It's the product. The product of being under the influence of the spirit is these nine words. Don't make the mistake of saying, I'm pretty good at two and three. Ooh, seven and eight, not so much. You don't pick one of the nine words to be your words. When you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, all nine words are in operation in your life. And you say, well, not all nine words are in my life. I think you just found the problem. We're not under the influence of the Spirit. You want to navigate a problem? God's given you everything you need. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you didn't leave us alone. I want to thank you for sending a helper and a counselor. And as soon as I thank you for that great gift, I need to confess my sin. That I don't acknowledge that gift. I don't turn to that gift. I don't depend on that gift that you have put in me. Holy Spirit, you're always there every single day. I don't even have to wait till you get here. You're always there to be that influence. Lord, would you help each one of us identify three places every day? Would you help us to do it every single day? And, and God, may we use your word, the, the words you gave us under your influence, and, and let us see from Galatians 5 very clearly what it looks like. And may we adjust accordingly. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.